This is One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 59 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I'm speaking with Lauren Drake, who is the Manager of Volunteer Services at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. Good morning, Lauren, and thank you for being on the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk to really anyone associated with this museum. It is probably one of my earliest memories and favorite places that I used to visit visit when I would go into the city when I was young. And I've had the pleasure of taking my own children there. And um, it's just such a wonderful, vibrant place. Um, and I'm really excited to talk to you this morning about your experiences there, what you do there. And also, uh, we're going to speak specifically about a program called the Discovery Squad. So Lauren, why don't I start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do in your role as manager of volunteer services, and how long you've been with the museum? Sure. Um, so I've been with the museum. Uh, since 2014, so for about five years. I came to the museum pretty much right out of college. My background is, so I have a, I have a degree in political science, but um, the last year that I was at my university, I did um, some campaigning to get more um, accessible restrooms um, at the school. And so through that on my resume, it kind of um, showed my interest for accessibility, and I didn't have a huge background of accessibility when I um, applied to the museum. And so I originally applied for the volunteer um, services department, um, and so the volunteer services department actually runs all of our accessibility programs and some of the initiatives that we have here at the museum. So. When I started on, they asked me to be a part of some of the programming um, that we were doing, which is the Discovery Squad um, for children with autism, um, and then also some other programs um, for visitors who are blind and partially sighted. Um, That's our Science Sense program, Um, and also some ASL programming and by request programming. Um, And so, like I said, all of our um, programs Uh, that are um, for visitors with disabilities or actually any of our tours, any of our tour programming all runs through the volunteer office. Um, So the folks that um, give their time to do these programs are all volunteers. Um, So we have a core group of volunteers that have been trained to um, give tours uh, for visitors with various disabilities. Um, And so I've done a lot of training in my role um, to you know, understand and be able to um, run these programs and work with um, visitors as well. Great. So, how many volunteers um, spend time at the museum doing this? How many? How many people do you end up managing who focus on this program? These programs. So, for the Discovery Squad, um, particularly, we have a kind of core group of about twenty guides um, and about five facilitators. So, they're not tour guides, but they will help with the program. Mm-hmm. And so that's just the Discovery Squad in and of itself. Um, more volunteers are trained from the Seaver Center. So the Seaver Center does the training for us about the program. They helped us put together the program in 2013. And 
but it's up to the guide whether they, um, you know, want to do the program. Um, also, it's on a Saturday at 9 a.m., so <laughs> that is a, um, you know, that some of the volunteers don't really want to come so early in the morning. Right. Um, but we have about 20, a core group of about 20 guides um, that, that do the, the tours. Okay, so just so so I can be clear that so you have a Department of Volunteer Services that but not all of the people who volunteer in that program are working in or are volunteering for the Discovery Squad. Are the, overall, I'm just curious because I know that museums rely heavily on volunteers. Is there a number you can give me about how many how many people in general volunteer at the museum? So right now we probably have um, a little more than 1,200 active wow. volunteers. I figured it was going to be a high number. That is amazing and really <laughs> quite impressive. So I just want to put that out there to our listeners because, um, I, you know, sometimes there can be a little bit of a, an assumption that museums are places like libraries kind of where you have to, um, you know, they're, they're fancy or they're, there's a standard of, of sort of uh, better, better behavior, excuse me, and etiquette. And there is, I think, you know, to, to have a, to have a, everybody have as good an experience as they possibly can and to enjoy it in their own way. But at the same time, to understand that there are 1,200 people who care so much about about uh, what goes on in the museum and making it of interest and accessible to everyone that they spend time for no pay, you know, being there and supporting uh, other people from the communities and, and from far away, I'm sure, coming to the museum and enjoying it themselves. And I think I think that's an important component for anybody who's listening to know that there are 1,200 people who um, who are pa- feel that passionately about about people getting out to the museum. So I, I appreciate you having that number. Yeah, absolutely. And do you manage all of those people? So we're uh, we're actually a office of four four people, um, and so we manage mostly the public facing volunteers. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of departments in the museum, um, and so generally a volunteer will be supervised by their by by the person in the department that they're working for. Mm-hmm. Um, so our volunteers are volunteers that do tours. Um, our volunteers are volunteers that do um, explaining in the halls. Um, so you might see. Uh, people with buttons that say fossil explainer. So those are the ones that we mostly manage, include, um, as well as information desk volunteers, so the public-facing volunteers. And mm-hmm. that's a, a smaller portion, um, probably 350 to, to 400 of, of the volunteers. Okay, good to know. And, um, and also yeah. interesting to know that there are a lot of people behind the scenes um, who you may never see uh, who are volunteering yeah. their time and expertise, so interesting. Um, okay, so let's um, – thank you for that background. And, and do you have any personal sure. connection or any, any other reasons outside of – kind of your, your work experience and, and the end of your college experience that would that puts you in a position of particularly being interested in working with or providing some supports and services for people on the autism spectrum. Does has that has that touched you at all personally? Um I would say not so not in my personal life. Um but I have always kind of I've always experienced um, you know Anytime I saw like discrimination or you know it really always hit me pretty hard um, and so i you know I'd seen a lot of documentaries on various disabilities um, and when they told me that um, you know accessibility might be a portion of of my job here, um, I kind of jumped at it and I said, you know I'd love to be a part of that, you know whether that's a part of my main role or whether that's something that I can do um, outside of it. So while it's not really in my personal life, um, I've always kind of felt like you know 
if there's something you can do, why not help? Why mm-hmm. not do it? Um, so, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I think that that's, um, there, there's a lot of times that I interview people on this show who have a personal connection. They started in the, in the field yeah. maybe because they have a child on the spectrum or, um, because they were an educator and they had, you know, growing number of students who were on the autism spectrum. I kind of similar to you have always just worked in the field of, of being around people. I was a teacher, but a teacher of mostly neurotypical children for a long time. And I did not have a family member, um, or a loved one on the autism spectrum, but I think that there's quite a nice balance and, and kind of um, developing, you know, the people coming into the field now really have a nice balance of sometimes having that personal connection and sometimes having an understanding of um, how good it can make us feel to um, to work yeah. within this field and to and to have an affinity for just people in general. Um, I also think that that may hopefully be helping the general public understand that people with autism are members of our communities and uh, not necessarily people who need their own bubble of a community, um, their own museum, for example, their own, you know, everything to be successful successful and to have a positive experience. So I love that, that you're seeing, uh, seeing that in your work and that you're, you're, you're enjoying what you're doing, um, even without a direct personal connection. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to, we have about two minutes before we uh, need to take a quick break, but in those two minutes, why don't you give us a very brief overview of the discovery squad? And then in the second half of the show, we'll get into more details about it. Great. So the discovery squad started in September, 2013, it was. It started up because of a need. Um, there were requests. Um, people were saying, you know, the museum is super crowded, which it is, um, mm-hmm. and it is a very difficult space for anyone, um, particularly with someone who might have some, uh, you know, sensory difficulties. Um, so uh, we put together a pilot program. Now I was not here. It started about a year before I I came, um, and uh, the program is for children five to fourteen. Um, however, that you know, that's a you know that's a number, but I, we will um, modify that if if requested. Um, and the program, uh, there are two separate parts of the program. Um, you go on a tour for about twenty um, twenty minutes in one hall, then twenty minutes in another hall. Um, it's kind of a little bit of a tour, a little bit of free explore, and then you go into the um, discovery room. Um, and the discovery room is a space all hands-on for children, um, and they open it up um, at 9:45 um, before the museum and the discovery squad open or the discovery room open to other um, visitors. So the discovery room will open to visitors at 10:30. So they have about 45 minutes to just experience that space on their own. Um, and you know, you come with your your family. So um, the families are invited as well. Um, we find a lot of the families really enjoy being able to do something with, um, you know, both their children on the autism spectrum and their neuro- neurotypical children. Um, you know, the, the whole family is invited. Um, so that's kind of the quick overview. Yes. <laughs> um, and perfectly. anything else you'd like to know? Perfectly timed. And yes, there's a lot more I'd like to know, but we're going to come back to that in the second half of the show. So sure. uh, today I'm talking with Lauren Drake, Manager of Volunteer Services at the uh, American Museum of Natural History in New York City about a program called the Discovery Squad. And this is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism, autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back with more. 
Have you driven by Anderson Center for Autism? Have you ever wondered what we're all about? Well, we're a state-of-the-art educational program. We're a nurturing home away from home. We're a community resource. We're a training center for people from all corners of the globe. We're a deeply devoted family of professionals who utilize evidence-based practices to optimize the quality of life for people with autism. And we're here for you. Call us today at 845-889-4034 or visit us online at andersoncenterforautism.org to learn more. Welcome back to 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm talking this morning with Lauren Drake, who's the manager of volunteer services at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, a place that many of you probably have been to, heard of, want to go to, and certainly if you are working with and or raising uh, or, or living with an individual on the autism spectrum, you may have thought at many times that this would be a great place for your loved one um, or your student or your classroom to go visit, but perhaps you've wondered if... um if uh, it would be a welcoming environment um, for for somebody on the spectrum or maybe even a classroom of students who might all be on the autism spectrum. And I can understand why. Lauren, as you were talking before, uh, the museum is crowded. Uh, it's a very popular yeah. place. It's a large place. Um, there can be echo. There can be different kinds of, you know, um, experiences, whether you're standing looking at something and all of a sudden a rush of 20 people come to the same exhibit and you're suddenly going from feeling like you have space to feeling like you're really surrounded by other people. There can be, you know, even the sound. I'm thinking back to some of my youngest memories of being there and um, the sound of somebody walking in boots or high heels on the floor um, for somebody who's got noise sensitivities might be unexpected and a little jarring. So one of the things that you've done or that was in existence when you came, but now you you um, manage is the Discovery Squad. And we're going to break yeah. down this program because I want people to learn um, as much about it as they can. So you said before sure. that the Discovery Squad, one of the things that you address is that the museum, again, can be crowded. And so you open this yeah. program on certain select Saturdays and you open it yes. before the museum officially opens to the public, correct? Yes. Okay. And how, yes. so, so talk, to, talk to us about that. Like, you know, what was the thinking behind that and, and how has that been received? Sure. Um, so it is a Saturday at 9 a.m. Um, it's usually, we try to do it the first Saturday of the month, but it doesn't always work out just because of, you know, um, events going on. Um, but I would say the main, you know, so the main reason that it, it ended up being Saturdays at 9 a.m., you know, a lot of people come to the museum on Saturdays. You know, that's kind of the day people like to do things. They like to go out um, with their families. Um, so Saturday seemed like the right day. We are open 363 days of the year. We only close on Christmas and Thanksgiving. Okay. So that that limits our availability to, you know, other museums sometimes can do it on a day that they're closed and mm-hmm. open it up for a longer period of time. Um, but unfortunately, because of that limitation, we, you know, said, well, actually, you know, 9 a.m. might be the time to do it. Um, you can get an hour in the halls and then you can do, you know, 45 minutes to half an hour in the discovery room. And then the visitors are welcome to stay after the program. So, you know, the museum might not get busy until 11 o'clock or 11.30, so they're able to come in and, you know, they might be able to do a couple of the halls that they didn't do during the program without it getting too crowded yet. Um, or or, or I even, say, yeah, I was just going to interject and say, or even maybe just having sure. that extra hour or so 
um, to adjust. A lot of times people on the spectrum needs, you know, benefit from having some time just to adjust to the environment. And then it's a very different thing being in a space as it fills up as opposed to walking into an already filled sort of louder space. So I think that either, you know, could work very well in a lot of different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would also say kind of to that, um, you know, we're able to shut off some of the soundscapes um, so that some of the halls don't have that loud, you know, uh, that overwhelming loud feeling to them, mm-hmm. um, even when there's nobody in them. Um, and so that's something that allows us to do before before hours that, you know, so they can see some of the, you know, the Blue Whale is one of our most popular exhibits, but it has a soundscape. Yeah. And that was something that visitors mentioned to us um, that came on the pilot program and said, you know, this is, it, you know, it's like an ambient noise in the background and it, it overwhelms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once we shut it off, you know, they were able to experience that hall um, with the same kind of, you know, um, enjoyment and awe that most people get when they walk into the room with the blue whale hanging yes. out and feeling right. Yes. Again, you're bringing back memories. That's awesome. And I also want to point out that, um, you know, you said before that some organizations, some different museums and different places that might have more days off that, you know, when they're typically closed might open them for a day for this kind of program. There is also something to be said for the fact that you're choosing not only a day that you're typically open, but one of the most accessible, busy days of the week which is a Saturday. But I love that because, again, it presents the world kind of with this with this message of people with autism don't necessarily want nor need a special day that's only for them. What they typically benefit from and their families certainly benefit from is an environment where they know it's okay to walk in. And, yeah, and that they're absolutely. going to be supported. So I sort of love the idea that even, you know, it may have come about for various logistical reasons, but I kind of love the outcome yeah. that here you are opening your doors a little early on a Saturday and you've got these volunteers who are saying, yes, I'm coming in at nine o'clock or probably earlier on a Saturday to get mm-hmm. ready. So so I just wanted to, to thank you for doing that. And now I have another question. Again, sure. just related to the program itself, how many um, how many people can you or do you typically accommodate on these on these um, Discovery Squad Saturdays? Um, so it's usually forty people, and so the the program um, limit is forty. Mm-hmm. Um, for registration, usually 30 show up. So we do sometimes have a little bit of drop off. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, if, if a family is really big, like sometimes we have a family of like six or seven, I'll increase the number. Um, just because, you know, usually families are, you know, two to three or three to four, but if it's a larger family, I'll increase the number of registration, but the limit of the 40 really helps us because our halls are very narrow, uh, many of the times. Um, and so when you have, a really large group it can start to feel really crowded even just with the 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 groups that we have Mm -hmm. and so I do do um by request as well so we allow you know some people come from far away and they're not able to come on the Saturday that we offer the program and we'll do it on another Saturday or another day um that works for that family Mm -hmm. and we'll also do sometimes if like an organization or a large group wants to come we'll do a separate Saturday for them that we can keep the you know number of people registering for the program you know to 40 instead of having to make different modifications like that 
Yeah, that, and that again, that flexibility and being able to accommodate somebody who is just not going to be there um, on that particular Saturday, I think, also is a real benefit to the family members and the people helping to plan this type of trip. While you said registration, let's get that out there. You, there is no charge, sure. correct? There is no charge for right. this. I know the museum does correct. take donations, and which is great, and mm-hmm. I think people should be as generous as they can to um, to the museum. But uh, but even though you don't have an, a specific cost associated with this program, people do need to register. So can you put yeah. out there where people would go to register, the best way for them to, to, to register for an upcoming Discovery Squad? Sure. So the best way to register for the program um, is by calling our Central Reservations Department Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, and the phone number is 212-769-5200. And there, they will be able to register for the program. Um, Generally, um, Central Reservations will ask a few questions. Um, They're not required to be answered, um, but they do help our tour guides. So, you know, um, are there any sensory issues? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, is your child um, aggressive? Um, You know, is there anything that you would like us to know that might help us accommodate uh, your family? Those types of of things. Um, And like I said, they're not required um, to be answered, but sometimes families, um, you know, like to let us know so that, you know, we can prepare and make sure that, you know, their child has the, the best experience that that they can. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so when they register, they'll then receive like a ticket through email um, okay. that will uh, allow them, them entry. Great. All right. So I'll repeat that number again to register. That's 212-769-5200. And I, I would think that most families typically would want to answer those questions. It's, it's often those questions that other people uh, running these types of programs don't necessarily feel they are allowed to ask. But families often have that information and appreciate being asked because, you know, if you're raising somebody on the spectrum and you're living with them every day, you typically know that those are the things that if the, the sort of receiving end of the experience does not is not prepared for, it it could be detrimental to the visit. So I think it's, it's great that you put that out there. Uh, we have two minutes left in our interview, Lauren. What has been the general feedback from people who've attended this program or the general public or maybe other museums looking to do something similar? What are people talking about when they hear Discovery Squad or have or leaving from from a day at the museum? Sure. Um, So a lot of the families um, really just, they, some of them love the community. So you're coming to a program where, um, you know, sometimes you may even know someone, right? So sometimes they see someone they they know or um, they've seen at other programs. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, they they like being able to be with other families that have similar experiences. Um, But also for for some families, particularly with with children who really can't come during the regular hours. So some of the families are able to do both. They're able to kind of come during the before hours and during the the regular hours, and some families really are not. And so many times um, the families who really are are not able to bring um, their family or their child to the museum during regular hours have really expressed, um, you know, immense gratitude to to that. 
Um, I will say the one thing, um, you know, some people, some of the children um, don't react, don't do very well on, on a tour, right? So because we're walking through the halls and because it's before hours, um, we do kind of all have to stick together. And some of the children, that's really hard for them. Um, and so uh, we do have facilitators that are able to kind of go with that child or that, that family um, that, and they can kind of fall off or do like their own thing. Some children can on, only want to stay in one hall, right? Yeah. Um, so that's something that the, the parents have um, you know, and, and the and the children, you know, like about the program, um, but that, you know, following a tour, you know, f- for children, for many children, that's hard to do, um, to really stay focused. Sure. And so that's um, something that we have, you know, kind of figured out and had to kind of tweak a little bit through, through our um years as, as doing the program. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like your flexibility and your, we have to wrap up. I know that you, your passion for this is clear and it's an exciting program, but I just want to say that what, what I'm getting from you is that you're learning from the the experiences that are happening at all these Saturdays, you're hearing and listening to the feedback from the families and from the children themselves, which is great. It seems to me that it's just going to continue to make the program even better. So um, I want to encourage people to sign up for Discovery Squad by um, at the American Museum of Natural History by calling 212-769-5200. And uh, Lauren Drake, Manager of Volunteer Services at the museum, thank you so much for talking to us today about the Discovery Squad. I think, you know, it certainly seems like something that we will be encouraging people, um, you know, if they ask us what there is to do around the New York City area, sounds like a great idea. And thank you for how you're developing this and, and, and what you're doing. It's amazing. Absolutely. It was nice to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to 1 in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week. 